Hi everyone, I'm Sindhu. And I'm Mahana. And welcome back to Two Last Brain Cells, the podcast. So in today's episode, we're talking about how systems enable men in positions of power to exploit their position of power and how it often translates into sexually aggressive behavior towards women. And this is off the back of the news this week around Justice Hayden. And for a bit of context, we studied Justice Hayden in in law school, and he was one of the justices on the high court. So really respectable position of power. Um, And it was found that he had sexually assaulted a couple of associates. And yeah, it was just really intense news. Um, But we see it in so many institutions. You can't ignore the patriarchy with which these systems were built on. Yeah, the interesting thing to look at is how institutions protect powerful men and why they think they can get away with it and why they have. I think we've internalised patriarchy so much in how we operate day to day. You know, from a really young age, we're taught about the traits and the tendencies that girls are supposed to have compared to boys. So, you know, boys are taught to be strong and crying is synonymous with weakness and girls are told that if they're too assertive that they're being aggressive and these are the sorts of things that we start to internalize that were built on patriarchal ideas there's just this expectation that women shoulder a family's emotional labor and Mm. that you know it's kind of their duty to keep a household together and a relationship together everything is underpinned by patriarchy what is interesting to look at with this is the role of what power does to men in positions like this. There's been a lot of research. I mean, this is obviously boiling it down and simplifying it, but there are sort of two ways to react. You're either quite risk averse in that position of power or you are quite optimistic about risk. And being very optimistic about risk comes from this idea that you feel like you're invincible versus the kinds of people in power who feel like one wrong move and they will be like denounced and their position of power will be rescinded. Particularly, you know, men who fall into that category of, you know, power makes them more optimistic about risk. This idea of sexual abuse, it actually has very little to do about sex and a lot to do with that idea of power and expressing that power Mm. on a, a subordinate. Yeah, yeah. I think that when you were talking about who is risk averse and who is more optimistic about risk, I think that also comes down to how convoluted the system that you're operating in is. So, for example, with Larry Nassar, I think he was a chief medical coordinator for USA Gymnastics. In that situation, there are so many people that would have to be thrown under the bus in order for these crimes to come out and be prosecuted like there would be Mm. there'd be so many steps before this would actually happen because he was very manipulative and tactful in that he was sexually abused children with parents in the room there are so many steps and there are so many levels before you can actually reach the predator there is just so much that needs to be broken down before you can get to the actual person Mm. abusing or taking advantage of their power. The other thing that I read about power and corruption was that power doesn't corrupt, it just heightens pre-existing ethical tendencies. Mm. And Abraham Lincoln said, (laughs) nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. So it's just kind of saying that Mm. they might have already had all of these tendencies, but a good way to bring to light 
how they handle situations is to give them untamed power. Like that's why all these men, Larry Nassar, um, Harvey Weinstein, George Pell, etc., mm. act like this because they know that it would be years before mm. anything happens. And it's so interesting with all those examples. Every single section of our socio and our economy, so you know, film, sport, religion, law, it's all built on these very same systems that encourage the exploitation of power to such an extent that it can go undetected for years. And actually, you know, undetected is probably the wrong word. I think it's often ignored as opposed mm. to undetected. So I think there, there are a section of people where it goes undetected, but I think there are yeah. a section of people who ignore it. And 100%. yeah. Yeah. Especially when there are multiple victims or witnesses involved and the abuse is happening consistently over quite a number of years. I think that there are fundamental reasons behind why or how those red flags go unnoticed and ignored. And mm. ultimately, the systems themselves are not only built um, on patriarchy, but patriarchy built capitalism and capitalism built the system. So there's mm. a financial disincentive to break the systems down. Yeah. 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 And I think the complicit like, liability runs so deep that there is the person who committed the crime, mm. but then there's also all of the people who are like, enablers who would have been passive about it. It runs so deep that in order to hold anyone accountable, you have to completely disrupt the entire system. And like you said, that's not something that anyone has an economic interest in. Exactly. With NASA, like USA Gymnastics, from what I understand, they actually knew about it mm. to an extent. I think there were a couple of people who had actually come forward yeah. years before the trial actually happened, and they ended up covering it up it basically gave NASA a license to, to keep going. Because imagine, like, if someone came up with allegations, but then the very system covered up for you, you'd think you're invincible. And I think the super interesting thing, especially about Larry Nassar's case, is that the problem was that he was really good at his job. And a lot of the gymnasts have been like, he was just so good at his job that he actually did help me further my gymnastic career. And so you're torn between this love that you've created with this person who's helping you like you'd have with your doctor or your physiotherapist or someone where there's a level of trust you know people have a, a vision in their mind about what a predator looks like and it doesn't look like a highly qualified doctor who's been doing their job for years with raving reviews um, yeah and it's that plus if he has such a unique role and he I don't know how he did it, but the level of cunningness and like manipulation was so deep mm. in that the gymnasts who came forward with their victim impact statements, they were like, I still feel so much love and respect for him. It's like such a mix of obviously disgust and they don't know, mm. they like haven't realized the impacts that this abuse has had on them until they themselves go on, grow up and have their own sexual partners. And then they realized what had happened back when they were a kid. But it's so convoluted for me. When I see Harvey Weinstein, he kind of ticks all of the typical <laughs> predatorial he's gross and he's just repulsive <laughs> but with larry nasa he's repulsive for his actions but if you actually read up on what the gymnasts say about him and all that it would also just be so hard because he was known to be so good at his job 
this is a guy who was married for like 20 odd years, had three children mm. of his own, like does not fit the stereotype at all. And I was reading a couple of articles about the lifestyle that you live as a young athlete training mm. to be Olympic level. Every single day of your existence is striving to be better because you're not good enough now. Mm. And that sort of thinking, especially when someone's in their very formative years, very young, it can be very confusing. So if your parent is taking you to a doctor and being like, this is the best doctor ever, yeah, you are just going on with it, being like, yeah, this is what a doctor does. Like, <laughs> best doctor yeah. ever. And I think I might have been the same article. One of the stuff that I read was also saying how like their entire formative years are founded on you're, you're not hungry, you're just... Um, mm, same article. <laughs> yeah, it's the same one. It's like, yeah, like denying everything that happens to them. The other thing that I was reading as well was about shame and how like mm. there's so much grooming that happens that when the abuse begins, the victim feels confused about it because of the positive relationship that preceded it mm. um obviously whenever someone feels shame that comes with guilt you know feeling like you had a part to play in it um mm. and that if you had done something di differently then it wouldn't have happened these men they play on that and they convince the victim that their shame is justified and that they should feel ashamed because they have done something not that they've been exploited just so manipulative they are grooming the entire system around them like they're grooming yeah. coaches and parents and other people who are involved i feel like with everyone else that you read about like harvey weinstein like bikram yoga <laughs> they have the whole like social dominance the, the victim should be grateful that mm. someone like me in my position of power gives them this kind of attention Mm. Um, powerful men use the promise of upward mobility so like you know mm. i can make you famous you can you know yeah as big as me one day to like law because that, that was literally like harvey weinstein's anthem is like if you want a role in this if you want to do this then like you know you just have to come in and spend some time with me like etc and that yeah and not even have a role in it if you don't do that then i can kill your career and I think Shoji, this article, talks about the minds of powerful sexual predators and how power corrupts. So there's mm. three factors that propel powerful people to outrageous behavior. Mm. The first one is social... Oh, yeah, interesting. So the first one is social dominance, <laughs> um, which is dominant hierarchies developed in society. Men mm. over... Like, so patriarchy, obviously, but also, you know, white people over people of um, color... Rich and poor, etc. Et mm. So individuals with a higher social dominance orientation are more likely to believe that they are superior to persons of other groups or classes, which we obviously generally know is just how it is mm. in life. And then the second one is exception making. So why power corrupts is powerful individuals begin to believe that social rules and laws that govern other people don't apply to them because of their status and power. Yeah, and how they can use their money or influence to settle with victims or like hush money and yeah. all that stuff. And then the third one is, it says, just being male. <laughs> um, A lot of these men are very well respected breaking trust in someone that is almost a symbol of an institution we often conflate the figurehead with the actual institution itself so when that when we lose trust in that person we just lose trust in the entire system which is important because first of all we shouldn't really be doing that but secondly it does indicate that there is a fundamental flaw in the system if those at the top are able to ride to the top in in that system but be 
who they are. Mm, yeah, it's funny because that reminds me of last week's topic and how, like, we were saying that one person's actions or words or whatever shouldn't affect your consumption of their art. But I think where this departs from that is it's not about the pieces of work that they've composed, but it's about the institutions that protect them. So exactly. I think it's really important to make that distinction and how, like you said, they've become a symbol of the institution that's protected them for so long. How many men would be interested in maintaining patriarchy? Honestly, yeah. think it would be probably 70% because why would you... Oh, more maybe. That? Yeah, that has never failed you. I guess all contributes into why they think they can get away with it and why they have continued to get away with it. And like you said at the beginning, it's all just about a patriarchal system that has helped to serve and support these kinds of behaviours. Patriarchy persists in a world where there's very different cultural rules, assumptions, people, very different ideas of what they're willing to give up, what they're willing to conform to and commit to, political ideologies. Mm. Women are just not seen. I actually yeah. think it's the exact opposite. The reason why there is so much economic interest in controlling females' bodies and our reproductive system, abortion laws, XYZ, mm. is because potential and power of female bodies are endless it, in such insular societies or in any kind of system that aims to oppress women the reason why it aims to oppress women is because capabilities are far higher for women's bodies than they are for men's bodies you oppress things that you're scared of overriding you or overtaking you that's how it is right and any mm. every time there's been kind of oppression that has happened it's come from fear of revolt and fear of that gender that species that caste that race revolting and doing the exact same thing to the other it all actually goes back to the fact that women's biological power is far superior that is immensely true in what species is that a reason for you to be punished or to be underpaid or yeah. like rewarded monetarily like it does, does, doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. In fact, if anything, it would mean that you are of more value because you control the actual like evolution. The population is something that you very much contribute to, which is exactly why there is so much economic interest in um, having abortion laws, this and that, because it gives women the power to con have control over their own bodies. As you were saying that we would need to shift our perception of women in order for everything to change. It, everyone's fundamental perceptions of females and males would have to equalise, and that's where we're at now. Yeah, yeah, like, the idea is not to see men and women as the same. The idea is to acknowledge that men and women are different but equal. There was a statistic around how the unpaid work of a woman yeah, yeah, yeah. is something like 120000 to $200,000 US dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. If you had to pay for each of those tasks to be done. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And like, if we're going to be using currency as the way in which we navigate this world, women who are at home because they have responsibilities of raising a child, but then can't make ends meet because they're not rewarded for the service yeah. that they provide that's creating yeah. an inequality yeah if you don't value that in the way like you say if, since currency is how we navigate um value if you're not assigning value to that then it 
just goes to show how just expected of housewives exactly do all of these yeah tasks and we just kind of don't really even think about that because they're building homes we've gotten so tunnel visioned into creating a male society that we forget that without women we can't create any society Mm. I, I still think, to my earlier point, institution are really just symptoms of the problem. They just show you that mm. the problem exists because you can see it best through an institution like the law or religion or the film industry or sport or whatever. Mm. But it's actually indicative of the fact that our entire social system is failing us. Mm. And I, I, I don't want to talk too much on capitalism, but it's a huge driver for a lot of these institutions. It's a huge, mm. huge driver for our the way our socioeconomic setup is. Mm. And unfortunately, it was built on patriarchy. So I don't know how you dismantle patriarchy yeah. without dismantling capitalism. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And as always, please let us know what your thoughts are. And we'll see you next week. Bye.